So unspeakable joy, that's the theme for our Christmas series. Jason talked a little bit about it last week. What exactly is unspeakable joy, right? It's, it's a weird phrase, it's weird words to put together, because generally when you're experiencing joy, it's something that should be spoken, it's something that should be experienced, it's something that should be seen, right? Often. Now, it's not that to say unspeakable joy isn't to say that we don't have a desire uh, to speak with joy, or that we are trying to hide it, right? Rather, there's a sense of awe that accompanies the joy that's being experienced. And that's in line with what we're going to be talking about this morning. <clears throat> now, how many times, and how many times have you, just do general math, do you think, have you heard the Christmas story? And you don't have to answer. <laughs> but I'll let you do the math. Likely, if you've grown up in the church, at least once a year, right? Now, if you add your age to that, that's probably how many times you've heard the Christmas story. Now, for me, not growing up in the church, it's a lot less, but still, from that point, once a year. Is that sufficient, would you say? <laughs> Do you think it's sufficient that we only hear of this story once a year? I don't know, and that's what we're going to talk about. I would say no, I think we should talk about it much more. The story of the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right? <clears throat> this morning I want to encourage you to, that while you may have heard it many times before, it is never something that we should get tired of hearing. Right? And the reason I say that is because there are other things that happen around this time of year that people do get tired of hearing. One of those, and this is a highly contested topic, is Christmas music in general, right? So people have lots of opinions about when you should start listening to Christmas music, what type of Christmas music you should listen to, when you should just full stop, I'm tired of it, right? It gets overwhelming sometimes. But I fear that sometimes, because we have heard the story, the Christmas story, the birth of Christ, over and over and over again, I don't want us to get tired of it. And to go even further than that, I don't want us to get tired of Christmas music either. I think that Christmas music should be played all the time. If you're in the mood for it, play it. Because what it's doing is it's reminding us of something greater that is the story of Christ's birth. Now, not all Christmas music is about Christ. Not all Christmas music is intended to communicate that. But as a believer, when you hear Christmas music, you think of Christmas. Now, Christ is seemingly been taken out of Christmas within our culture. But the idea is, as believers, <coughs> we know the reason for the season, right? So we know that it's about the birth of Christ. And we should celebrate that. It should be a joyful experience. So, based on the account of, and because I don't always like to call it a story because that a story sometimes communicates that it may not have happened, but the account that Luke is trying to communicate us, communicate with us here, is something that should be talked about and celebrated all year. We shouldn't just reserve it for now. It should be something that is pervasive throughout our life, 
because it's a big deal. And we're going to talk about why that is and what's being communicated, what Luke is trying to tell us in chapter 2. When we hear Christmas music, it should fill us with such joy because it serves as a reminder that God came down to earth for us and it's something we should celebrate. I would encourage you to play Christmas music in weird times of the year just to throw people off, right? Start, you know, play, play it in July. Let's, you know, play some Christmas music in July because what's going to happen is you know what that's about. And then what I like to say is you will utilize that opportunity as a gospel-sharing opportunity because everybody's going to be so confused. Why are you listening to Christmas music? And some people probably be maybe offended because you're not allowed to play Christmas music at that time of the year, right? But it starts a conversation because it's something to celebrate. And it's an opportunity that you can utilize, right? And the way that I'm going to say this is if you play the music in odd times, it gives us a reason to herald the birth of the Messiah, right? It gives us a reason to herald the birth of the Messiah to what I like to call unsuspecting victims of God's glory and grace who may have never heard the gospel, right? That's the idea. They don't know what's coming, but you do, right? <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can set the stage, so to speak, for having that gospel conversation. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to hear more about some of those seemingly unsuspecting victims of God's grace and glory. <clears throat> um. Luke chapter 2 opens with the all-too-common phrase, now in those days, right? So he's, he's setting the stage for us. He's opening up something, and he's going to communicate. Now in those days, and it's a familiar phrase. In, in the Bible, it's used re- regularly. But for us, you can think of it as, in story form, once upon a time, right? It's a pretty regularly well-known phrase that's once upon a time, so you know something's coming. Same idea. Now in those days, <clears throat> we, before we get into this, if you have ever read the Old Testament, it will be beneficial <laughs> for this morning, <laughs> right? And I'm not saying you have the time to do it now. You can pick that up later. But I would highly encourage you to read the Old Testament because The Old Testament is going to give you all of the context necessary for the story that we're going to talk about this morning. Now, the narrator, Luke, is giving us the scene. He's setting the scene for us. There's many characters in this narrative, um, specifically just from verse 1 through verse 20. But, uh, you know, a few of those characters, Mary, Joseph, obviously, and the big one, Jesus, right? He's part of this. But the interesting thing is that I, when I read this, though Jesus is the biggest character in this story, he's actually a secondary character the way that Luke is trying to communicate this, which is really interesting to think about because when we read it, we're like, yes, the birth of Christ. But the way that it's written is not necessarily communicating that. The way that it's written is there's other main characters, and he's utilizing those main characters to amplify what's going on. So, the characters that Luke is trying to utilize to amplify the person of Jesus are the shepherds, 
So we're going to talk about shepherds this morning. It is no way meant to take away from the person of Christ or take away from who he is or the significance of him or the significance of his birth at all, but it's meant to magnify that and elevate him to a higher understanding. That though he's a child, he's going to be great. There is something big happening here. And we learn this in verse, starting in verse 6. In verse 6, it says, While they were there, and this is Luke kind of jumping into it, While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, that being Mary. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. So there's certain questions that naturally arise. Um, traditionally, we we often think of this situation as Joseph and Mary are traveling to a land that they're not familiar with necessarily, where they don't know anybody, and they're trying to get a essentially like a hotel room, right? So that they can accommodate the census uh, command that was given by uh, Caesar. Well, I would argue that it's not quite like that. And then they couldn't get a room for whatever reason, and then they end up in a barn with animals, and then Jesus is born. And again, I feel like that's not a really accurate representation. This is us trying to, trying to understand first century Israel through the lenses of our Western world, right? Now, culturally speaking, when we think of what's going on here, there's a lot of, th- lot of factors at play in, in the sense of Joseph and Mary are not necessarily married at this time. She's very pregnant, right? Now, this is something that his family and her family would be very well aware of what's going on. It's not like they're hiding this from everybody, right? Especially because she talks to... Mary, the other Mary, right, about this, and all this stuff is known, right? It's out in the open. So Joseph's returning to where he's from, right? So his family home or family land, area, allotment, all of these things, they would know what's going on. Families were very connected in that culture. Uh, oftentimes they lived communally. So multiple generations lived with each other. It wasn't like the, they're traveling alone. Now, there may have been some sort of aspects of the family where Mary has been ostracized because of being pregnant out of wedlock and the things that are going on with that. But the idea is that they're going somewhere where they're known. It's not like they're just out in the middle of nowhere, they can't afford a hotel room, and they end up in a barn. <clears throat> so the context of that is In the first century, in places like Bethlehem, where families were living together culturally, oftentimes families had livestock. And they built houses in two stories. The bottom story was generally to house the livestock at night. The upper level was for people. And this was very common. Also, it was was common for people to have um, extra space for family who are visiting. Now imagine the situation. All of the family is there. Everybody's there because the census, right? 
So, and you have Joseph and Mary show up. She's pregnant. And there's no room in the word that they translate as in. doesn't necessarily mean in. It could mean like a guest room or an extra lodging space or a space to stay, right? It's not specifically an in. There's other words uh, used specifically for in that Luke also uses in Luke chapter 10 um, that is not the same as this word in the Greek. So they come. There's not a place necessarily for them to rest or stay or lodge alone, but there's offered for them to stay in the animal dwelling area essentially. So they end up there, which isn't a bad thing. They're not disconnected from people they know. It's not like they're off in this field in a random barn or something like that. So contextually speaking and looking at that is it is a difficult situation, right? She's still giving birth. There's still animals around. It's not ideal, but they're not as far removed from others as it may seem to us, looking at it from our perspective. Then, the interesting, interesting thing about how Luke continues is it came, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to a son and put him in a manger, and then it's, that's like the end of it. That's, that's, they're done and he moves on and he says, And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. So it's really interesting how Luke transitions from Jesus was born. Now I'm going to talk about shepherds. Why is Luke talking about shepherds all of a sudden? I thought this was about Jesus, right? <laughs> okay, we're going to get into it. So in verse 9 through 14, we get an idea of why Luke is telling us about these shepherds. In verse 9, And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and living in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. So there's shepherds in a field, hanging out at night, watching over their flock, and an angel shows up. And they're terrified, rightly so. Has anybody ever seen an angel? it would probably be a terrifying experience. Based on descriptions in the Old Testament that we have of angelic beings, it would not be the most ideal situation for us. But we sang this morning, O Holy Night, and one of the verses that just, just the truth of the fact connects so much to this text is when it says, fall on your knees, right? And the hear the angels rejoicing, right? So this is exactly what's going on with these shepherds. An angel is appearing to them to speak to them, and they're terrified, and rightfully so. 
they probably, like, I just think they're falling on their knees before this angel, like, please don't, like, destroy me. And the first thing that comes out of the angel's mouth, it says, do not be afraid. <clears throat> do not be afraid. Not only should you not be afraid, but I have a message for you that is going to change your life forever, right? In a good way. <clears throat> Do not be afraid. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. What is this great joy? What is this good news of great joy? The word, the word in Greek here used for good news is the same word we use for gospel, the same word that is, trans, or that is used to, uh, for evangelize, right? Transliterated evangelize, to share the good news, to share the gospel. So the angels essentially are coming and giving the good news of Christ to these shepherds in a field. Because the following verse, right after that, it says, I give you good news of great joy. <clears throat> for today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. It could also be Messiah the Lord. The Savior, the one who is to come. So imagine the awe of the, the shepherds when they're hearing this message. They're terrified. The angel says, don't worry. I've come to share with you the good news. The good news of Christ, the Savior. He's been born. He's here. <clears throat> and then he give, the angel gives them a sign of how to find this Savior. And they tell him, this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, this is one of those where, for us, it's hard. Like, when we picture a manger, it's kind of a wood thing with straw in it, you know, that's used during Christmas and all that stuff. But the, what a manger was is essentially a feeding trough for animals, right? So it's something which would make sense if they're housed with the animals, with the livestock, there would be these feeding troughs. So <clears throat> he's placed in there. It's not a normal situation. <laughs> Right? This is a very abnormal situation. People don't just go put their babies in feeding troughs <laughs> regularly after they're born. So when the angel's telling these shepherds this, they're like, that's strange, right? People don't do that. But it's one of those situations where it's such, such a strange thing that it's an obvious sign to the shepherds. Now, the shepherds are from the same region. So they're from the Bethlehem region, right? And they're out tending their flocks. So the angels tell them about this. So they're going to know the people in town. They're going to know what's going on. It is not going to be difficult for them to find this Messiah, right? You're going to, you go back and you'll be like, hey, did you see a pregnant lady come into town? And have you seen a baby in a feeding trough lately, right? And they, everybody in town will be like, oh yeah, it's those people over there. I heard some weird stuff going on. But it's not something that's going to be hard to find. You just ask around, and it's like, yeah, they put their baby in a food trough. But <clears throat> the idea is that it's something that should be known, right? It's out of the ordinary. Nothing about this is normal. <laughs> but that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's different. 
So they hear of this sign, and then immediately after that, there was one angel shared the good news of Christ with the shepherds, gave them a sign of how to find him, and then right after, the, after this, it says a multitude of the heavenly host, right, showed up. A multitude of the heavenly host showed up, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now imagine these shepherds, one angel shows up and they're terrified. Imagine if an entire heavenly host then shows up and they're witnessing this, <laughs> this ordeal and they're just crying out glorifying the Lord right there. Like, how much more terrifying would that be? Like, that just escalates the situation. But it communicates the, the importance and the intensity of the message that was just shared, right? So this one angel comes heralding the good news of Christ being born, and then this multitude of heavenly hosts come and praises God for the delivery of that message. So the shepherds hear the good news, and then God receives glory. God is glorified. And then we get into verse 15. It says, When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. So the shepherds receive this message of good news. They witness the heavenly host glorifying God based on this message. And then naturally, they should, they're probably like, wow, this is a big deal. Let's go find this guy. And they have a sign to find the Messiah. So immediately, let's go. So they go. They find Mary and Joseph. Again, probably wouldn't have been difficult to do considering the circumstances. And then, in verse 7, say, When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at these things, which were told them by the shepherds. So the shepherds received the good news, and immediately after that, they took it and shared that good news. Now imagine Mary and Joseph in this situation. Mary, having known this for a long time, she knew who Jesus was meant to be. She knew what this pregnancy entailed. <clears throat> she had been visited by an angel and told what was going to happen, but she probably feels very alone in this situation. Now imagine you know this, you're telling this to people, but what happens when you've now given birth and these strangers show up and tell you the same exact thing? Hey, we just, we just got this message from an angel saying that your son is Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. (coughs) 
This is a big, this is a big deal. Now, in Matthew chapter 2, when the Magi come, visit the king and tell him about the king to come, um, then he seeks out the scribes to confirm where he's supposed to be born. They tell him in Bethlehem. And where they find it, and this is why I said reading the Old Testament would be beneficial, <clears throat> what they say to him, they tell him he's going to be found in Bethlehem. And it's found in Micah chapter 5. So if you want to turn to Micah chapter 5, you're welcome to. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And it tells us of that message, right? So it gives more to what's going on. What are you going to find in Bethlehem? But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. This one will be our peace. So in Micah chapter 5, we're getting a prophecy of the birth of Christ. It's going to happen in Bethlehem. He's going to rule. It's going to go to the ends of the earth. He will be peace, which is in line with exactly what the angels, this host of the Lord, is proclaiming when they're glorifying Him. They say, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom He is pleased. That peace has come. That's what they're saying. Jesus, the, the Messiah, the Savior, the peace of earth has come. He is the one that will bring that peace. <clears throat> so, <laughs> this was known that it was going to come from Bethlehem. And when the shepherds received this, and then they shared that, that message, this is the message they're sharing. The King has come. The Savior has come. Peace has come. All of that has come through this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. It doesn't just say Mary and Joseph. There was probably quite a bit of people there. Again, they were with, there was family in the area. This probably the birth of her firstborn son. That's a big deal. Whether or not it was she was married or not, right? But it's her firstborn son. Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And I think that speaks somewhat to the idea that she's now receiving this message from strangers she's never met, confirming the truths of what the angel had shared with her about who her son was meant to be, what was going to happen. <clears throat> and then in verse 20, 
the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. The shepherds were modeling exactly what had happened with them when they were out in the field. The angels came. They proclaimed a message. And then they, as a host of the Lord, glorified God for that message. The shepherds then in turn go, take that message, share that message with others, and then go away glorifying the Lord for the message that was shared. And rightfully so. So the good news of what has been communicated by the angels and then by the shepherds is worthy and rightfully continued to be shared. And when it is shared, God should receive glory for that. So right now, this morning, you are hearing the good news. And I may not be an angel, I may not be a shepherd, but it really doesn't matter who I am. It doesn't matter the vehicle uh, that is used to communicate that message. What matters is the message. And the message never changes. The message is that God saw fit to send His Son to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem, be placed in an animal feeding trough for the sole purpose of redeeming the world back to Himself. This work has been accomplished by that very child born in Bethlehem. As he submitted to the will of his father, was tortured, died, and was buried, all for the sins of the world, including each and every one of us. He defeated sin and death by raising himself back to life as the first fruits of many, so that anyone who believes and accepts his sufficient sacrifice will share an eternal relationship with God. This is the good news of great joy. This is what the angel is essentially telling the shepherds. Then the shepherds are going communicating, it's here, it's now, it's happening. Now for us, we're awaiting another day. He's coming back. Praise the Lord. But now that we have the good news, what are we going to do with it? Right? We can hide it. Uh, we can keep it to ourselves. We can hoard it. Or we can openly glorify God through the continued proclamation of that good news that is the reason for the great joy. Right? All of our joy should be found in the good news of Christ. He's done it. He's going to do it. We're not. And we should celebrate that. <clears throat> God completes His plans. He is faithful. And He was faithful to send His Son. And He's faithful to come back. <clears throat> 